Shalom. This is Rabbi John Spiros Aved at Temple Beth Abraham in Nashua, New Hampshire. This podcast is a talk which I gave on September 14th of 2008 at the Southern New Hampshire Jewish Men's Club. And the topic was Jews in the 21st century. I split this podcast into two sections, uh, part one and part two. And uh, this is a bit of Jewish sociology, not so much of Jewish text study. I hope you find it interesting. Thank you for, for having me, first of all. And also, just uh, on behalf of the Temple, welcome, um, particularly for those of you who aren't members of Temple Beth Abraham and, uh, and aren't in here a lot. It's good to, it's good to have you here. I, um, uh, the topic that, that uh, Steve and I chose after talking a little bit was, uh, was the Jews in the 21st century. So I actually, I brought a few things that are representative of the 21st century. One is my son over there, Alex, who was uh, perhaps a future member of the men's club. He was born in 1999, but has very little recollection of the 20th century. Um, the, lap- <laughs> uh, the laptop is a, a little experiment in uh, podcast teaching, which... Uh, um, which uh, I use the talk to see how this goes, and uh, maybe we'll get a chance to edit clips of this and put this out there um, for you or for uh, for anybody else. It's a, my way a little bit of uh, trying to think about how uh, rabbis reach people um, with Jewish thoughts and Jewish ideas in the 21st century when people are so much online. And the other thing that I that I wanted to bring you before we even before I even start talking is a is a clip of uh, someone who probably even better than I represents. Jews, or something about Jewish expression in the 20th, in the 21st century. And um, so I'm going to play you this. I, I'm curious if anybody uh, knows what this is already. And uh, I'm also curious what you think about it. So here we go. Anybody recognize? Yes. Yeah. How many of you have heard that before? Oh, wow. Hip, uh, hip group. Um, this is Matis Yahu. Uh, Matis Yahu was a uh, gentleman who became a, uh, a chassid and is doing this music, which is uh, Jewish and reggae. It's gospel. It's all of this put together. And if you, you could say that the theme of, of my remarks today is um, trying to figure out what we make of the fact that Jews who are probably 25, 30 years old, are certainly more interested in, the, in Matis Yahu than they are in what I'm doing here on a Shabbat morning or what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. And the question is, you know, what do we make of that? What do we do about that? What are things going to look like when uh, the next generation, my son's generation, but even sooner, come and, um, and we invite them to sit around at tables like this? What, is, what might the Jewish community, or Jews, at least in the United States, look like 20, 40, 50 years from now, or a century from now even. So I thought it might be interesting to start just by looking back and thinking about, in America, just how fast time has moved. So, so this is a snapshot. In 1908, the Jews of the United States were about a million or so 
people. It was the middle of the Great Migration from Eastern Europe. The uh, you know think of all your maybe when our families most of them came Lower East Side of New York. It was a time when there were about 10 million Jews in the whole world. Three quarters of them lived in pretty much Central and Eastern Europe, the areas covered by the, the Russian Empire and the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Ukraine, Russia, Baltic states. That's where most of the Jews were. A million were in the United States. Um, of them, about 20,000 were in Massachusetts, so you know, however much large proportion you think Boston. And according to uh, a study of Jews in about 1900, there were maybe a thousand Jews in New Hampshire, all over the state at that time, a hundred years ago. And if you think about who we were at that time, the Jews of the United States were primarily an urban population, um, particularly as the Eastern European immigration took root and Jews came to the cities. And uh, it has always been true that Jews had been all across the United States, wherever there were pioneers, wherever people were setting out, small group of Jews had gone. Um, certainly the earlier immigrants from the Sephardic immigrants and the German immigrants were, were there. But the Eastern European immigrants, and I'm curious how, how much of us are sort of an Eastern European extraction, so most, and how many are, are, are we of Sephardim at all, Sephardim? Much. Anyway, so that's and, and that's where we were, um, a smaller group, a much more urban group, and uh, and certainly a, a relatively poor group in the majority of those Jews who were living in the cities. Think about just 50 years forward from that, 1958, after World War II, the suburban period, kind of the big flowering of Jews in the suburbs. So from one million. Jews out of a world of 10 million. Um, after the war, there were about 5 million Jews in the United States, um, out of about 12 million Jews in the whole world. So almost half of the Jewish population of the world were located in the United States. Of course, it was after the Shoah, so we had lost 6 million um, in Europe. The European centers were, were decimated. There were only in 1958, at most, maybe a million and a half Jews in Israel. This was by three times, at least, the larger community of, of where Jews were. And it's interesting, in 1958, as we do think about um, suburbanization and the move of Jews to the suburbs along with everybody else, um, the study said that um, probably about 9 in 10 American Jews lived in, a, in or around a metropolitan area of 250,000 people or more. The idea of Jews really out in the, out in the, the hinterlands, very few, relatively little. Um, by this time, there were 200,000 Jews who lived in Massachusetts and 150,000 in the Boston area. So, you know, a seven, uh, you know, pretty much a ten times increase in terms of Massachusetts in a 50-year period. Um, according to the study in 1958, there were less than 3,000 Jews in southern New Hampshire, in the cities of southern New Hampshire, and they tabulated 350 Jews, 350 individual Jews in Nashua, New Hampshire in 1958. I don't know what the methodology was, but, uh, but there you go. Um, so if the first, you know, I think of what was the, the snapshot of the, the earlier period, the turn of the last century, if you think of the movie Hester Street, um, which we may have seen, which is based on a novel by, I think, Abraham Cahan, was a story of an of a Eastern European immigrant who had come ahead of his family to the Lower East Side, and he was trying to, he was a tailor, and he, he had these dreams of wealth and respectability and becoming American, and when his wife and his daughter and his son came over um, and he met them um, to come into the country, he was, he was ashamed, because they looked like, they looked like immigrants, and they looked like refugees, and they looked like 
Jews. And the movie was an exploration, the, the novel and then the movie made later was an exploration of how Jews at that time tried <coughs> to adjust to being here. Um, I'm trying to think of what in 1958 the, uh, the emblematic uh, thing was. There's a wonderful story by Philip Roth in the early collection um, called Eli the Fanatic. And it's set in, I think, Long Island after, you know, in the years after World War II. And um, it dealt with the conflict between um, a group of sort of affluent, respectable suburban Jews um, and suddenly a group of, uh, of really Holocaust survivors, refugees, come to their town and want to set up a yeshiva. And, um, and you know, Philip Roth, it's a little, uh, uh, he has a little uh, fun at the expense of the uh, respectable Jews. And he imagines the absurdity to which the community goes to distance themselves from this uh, way of living which, um, which, which you know, respectable, wealthier Jews had, had put aside. And it was an exploration of how Jews had sort of made it, but were uncertain about, about how much we had made it. But still that theme of becoming uh, American. Um, in 2008, there are something like six million Jews in the United States, which is roughly the same number of Jews as are in Israel. It's difficult to figure out how to count um, who's Jewish, who's Jewish here, who's Jewish there. There's probably a hair more Jews living in Israel now than live here. Uh, only about 14 million Jews in the world. The population actually in 50 years of world Jewry has not increased um, dramatically, uh, but there are, there are well upwards of five million Jews. You, some of you who are Israeli or Israeli connected may know better than I just how many. So here we are again, about half of the Jewish population of the world in the United States. Um, there are over 200,000 Jews in Boston alone, and interestingly also this statistic that um, about um, 55,000 people who are not Jewish live in homes with Jewish people in the Boston area. So you know that's a statistic that um, is replicated um, around the country. Jews are uh, are increasingly a, a, an interfaith community as well. Um, in the, in New Hampshire, um, from maybe three thousand or so uh, fifty years ago, there are about ten thousand Jews in New Hampshire, according to the the count. Um, and obviously, the the bulk of that probably is in southern New Hampshire, the area that that we all come from. And we're starting to see a little bit of the shift. We're still kind of a suburban community, even around here, but we're becoming also a little bit of the, the ex-urban community. Jews who are now no longer living so close to Jewish institutions, and Jews who are able to participate in Jewish life or not, and live um, far away. So people from here may have traveled a half an hour or more just to get to a, a Jewish event this morning, and this has become more and more common. And what's even more common is for Jews to move to an area. We give no thought to whether they're within a half hour drive of any sort of Jewish um, social or cultural life. That's the shift that we're in the middle of, and we're not quite sure um, how that looks yet. I think the emblematic um, movie or story maybe of us in our time, if you saw um, Keeping Up with the Signs a couple years ago, a tale of uh, horribly um, lavish uh, bar mitzvah celebration ornate competition between Jews living in, uh, in California, trying to show how much we had made it big, just like everybody else. Um, so that's, you know, so if you think about just in 100 years how we've traveled, the world around us, the Jewish world and the world has changed, and we don't know what those changes are going to be for us in the next 50 years, in the next 100 years, the surrounding. We know that we are swept up in the same kinds of changes that characterize our society as a whole. We'll talk a little bit about about that. Um, and at the same time, this community is, um, over time, has been, has been growing, at least growing in raw numbers. And really what I try to do is see if we can sort of make some observations, a little more fine observations, and then um, anticipate a little bit about what the, 
what is it that would be the, the shape of Jewish life here and Jewish living here, particularly in this area? I've only been here a couple of months, so I may not have um, you know, quite a fine feel for what, the, for what that could be like. But really talk about what some of these trends mean and where they might be heading for us. Um, it's interesting. You might wonder sort of what qualifies me at all um, to talk on a topic like this. After all, am I not a rabbi um, standing up in the pulpit teaching Torah? Uh, my initial, just to tell you that my, um, my initial undergraduate training was as a social scientist, really, in sociology and social theory. So I, I came, first of all, sort of with a, an analytical approach, I guess, to community. Um, not only the love of community, which I obviously have, which is why I've become a rabbi, but the ability to step back from that and to ask questions about, about what's, what's the setup here, what's going on, how do I understand the community in which I'm living and I'm working. And I had the tremendous, tremendous um, great fortune to go to rabbinical school on a fellowship from the Wexner Foundation. And um, Leslie Wexner is a name uh, you may not know, but, uh, but you definitely know who he is. He is the one who created uh, the set of shops that are uh, the limited, um, Victoria's Secret, um, and all that set of things are his. Um, he was a Jewish man from Columbus, Ohio, who uh, started with one little store and has, uh, has hit it big, and he is one of the biggest um, Jewish philanthropists in the United States. And one of the things that he has started to do is to invest in future Jewish leadership in the United States and Israel. Um, so his generosity paid for me to be part of a group of 20 or so who entered uh, rabbinic school and other professions from all of the denominations um, the year that I did. And we have gone through a training process. And one of the things that we did was to always have um, access to the to the, um, the thinkers and the federation leaders and the sociologists and the historians who were looking at Judaism with the, with the long view. So in addition to studying Talmud and all of that, while I was at the seminary, I was able to really be um, given a wider perspective um, and, and encouraged to ask questions about how is this all gonna, gonna play out. So what can we say about how Jews today are different from Jews um, 50 years ago? One thing that's true is that there are more places where Jews live in the United States, and there are more places with more Jews. Um, so if you think that there were a few cities in New Hampshire that had Jews living here 50 years ago, um, that you know, 3,000 figure and 350 in Nashua, well now there are more towns in the state where Jews live, and it's true across the United States. And every Jewish center has sparked these little satellites, and people who, who often live in these places but don't have any connection at all to the Jewish community. Um, more Jews are in motion, moving around, than ever before. And this has some implications, too. Um, the statistic is that of the Jewish population in the United States, 25% are living in a different city from where they lived six years before. And this tracks pretty much with the US Census generally. But it means that we are an unusually, for Jewish history, we are an unusually transient community. Uh, I think that, I, I imagine this is even more the case here. Um, compared to the big cities, but it's, but it's the case everywhere. And um, it has some implications, I think, for a sense of belonging and a sense of roots, and also for that barrier of entry that a Jew who moves to a community like this, how likely is it that he or she will decide to find his way or her way to an organization, to a synagogue, anything like that. Um, as I mentioned before, more Jews live uh, with non-Jews. Uh, more, more Jewish people are married to people who are not Jewish. More homes are interfaith homes. Uh, and the, uh, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that we probably have never seen in Jewish history before. And it's a new, it's a new kind of reality for us. And uh, our society is certainly more open to Jews than it has uh, than it's ever been. You can find, you know, in the 
in the 20s, the 30s, when you started to hear about Jews in, uh, in Hollywood or those kinds of things, well, there's no, field of, um, there's no field of American life that you can think of that doesn't have uh, Jews involved in it or where Jews are not prominent. And this has some implications just for the, the many things which demand, the, which, which offer the attention other than Jewish community. 50 years ago, it was still, it was still the case where you know, the country clubs were closed and things like that, and Jews needed Jews to associate with and Jews needed Jewish organizations to, uh, uh, to have professional organizations, and Jews needed Jewish hospitals and Jewish nursing homes. Um, well, these things are, are, are not needed in the same way now as they were before. There are many, many more um, diverse forms of Jewish expression than there were 50 years ago. I played you Matisyahu, which is, just, which is just fascinating. One of the things that's fascinating about Matisyahu is that it's not just Jews who go to see him. Um, he is considered to be a, a serious musician. People, non-Jews are interested, Jewish young people and their friends go to see him, the same way that they'll then go and hear an R&B group, hear a gospel choir, things like that afterwards. Um, and in the arts, there's just an incredible explosion. I guess Jewish, Jews in America have always been at the, at the cutting edge of whatever the cutting edge has been in the arts, but it's certainly, uh, it's certainly the case now. Um, you have, uh, in addition to, to music, and these, and these really interesting fusions. So he's, you know, reggae and hip-hop and, and Jewish music, but you have, you know, you have Jewish jazz, you have Jewish blues, you have, you have all this other kind of digital music that I don't understand at all. I met a guy, I heard a guy a couple of years ago who said when he started, do, he, he was from Canada, and he found one day a bunch of LPs of old, you know, klezmer music and cantorial music, and he started to mash them up the way, I don't even know what mashing up means, but you know, where you, you know, with the record players and mixing all these things together, and you, uh, you hear this kind of thing too. Um, one of the other kind of uh, places where, where Jews uh, are exploring this kind of artistic expression is uh, it's a magazine called Heeb Magazine. I wonder how that strikes you as a name for a magazine. In Your Face um, comes out of New York City, of course, Young Jews. It doesn't, it's sort of broadcast that it's a Jewish thing, but it's not exclusively Jewish. I went on, the, I went on their website last night and I learned that um, uh, President Sarkozy of France has a son who's a bit of a, of a mild boy and he just got uh, married just as his father did in this sort of, um, you know, sudden wedding. He married, uh, lo and behold, a Jewish heiress to a big electronics company in France. And I read about another guy who was a, a Jewish kid who got an interview with, you know, uh, James Brown, the musician, and suddenly got into his inner circle because he was Jewish um, some years ago, and all of these, uh, all these kinds of things. Um, in addition, you have uh, these incredible expressions by young people of a passion for the world. In an earlier generation, we had Jews marching for civil rights, going down to Mississippi, dying um, for the cause of, uh, of black equality in this country. Today, it's expressed in organizations like uh, Avodah, which was founded by a friend of mine. Um, every year in New York, in Chicago, in New Orleans, in Washington, a group of 10 or 15 just out of college people uh, are accepted into this program, and they live communally. They live in a bayit, a communal home. They create Jewish life together, and during the daytime, they are each placed in a, an anti-poverty organization of some sort in the city where they live. And, um, and the alumni of these programs are going out to become involved in Jewish communities, to become um, leaders in things like the, uh, the JCRCs, the Community Relations Councils, um, and creating new forms of, uh, of Jewish youth involvement in, uh, in Jewish life. Um, we're using the web to do all kinds of things, right? In addition to music and information, J-Date, we're connecting with each other, Facebook, all these kinds of things. Um, a couple other things that are different. Um, 
there's less familiarity and attachment uh, in the younger generation to Israel. Uh, fewer Jews who've gone to Israel, fewer Jews who give money to support causes in Israel as a proportion than before. There is more of a divide between Jews who are less religious and Jews who are more religious. Um, the religious community in the United States among Jews is growing, perhaps faster than any other subgroup within the Jewish community. At the same time, the community of Jews who have nothing to do at all with Jewish religious practice is also growing. So there's a divide, I think, between um, where I consider myself somewhere in a, in a kind of modern Judaism, which is involved in Jewish life, but also in, in contemporary society. We're becoming more distant from Jews who don't connect at all, and also from Jews who are Orthodox and in enclaves, which are increasingly much more insulated socially, even though Orthodox Jews are just as integrated professionally, I think, as, as Jews have ever been. Um, more Jews go to Jewish schools. Um, I was, I was astounded really to find how many people either in this area go to the Jewish school in Andover or, or wish they did, um, or wish they could send their kids there. Um, striking, striking figure. Um, and there's, of course, a wider social acceptance of things which didn't used to be um, uh, the norm in the Jewish community. Um, Same-sex couples, families that have um, kids who are gay and lesbian or gay and lesbian folks who live together, have families together, have more, although certainly haven't arrived at acceptance in the community. Um, and then of course, you know, we see that um, the, um, here's another interesting uh, difference. There's probably more money being given to Jewish causes and Jewish organizations in the United States than ever before, by Jews in the United States than ever before. But um, the Jewish federations across the country, their annual giving campaigns are flat or down. Um, so how is this possible? More money but less money? And the answer is that Jews, like everybody else, are individualizing. Um, people who have money that they want to give um, are more and more wanting to make a difference in their own terms. It's an individual expression. Not coming to the community and say, here, take this. You decide how we should do this for the good of the community. That's another big um, trend, particularly for those of us who are involved in kind of uh, raising money and budgeting money for Jewish life. So if you step back from all those changes and all those statistics, what's the, what's the thing that's going on? What's the thing that's different? Is it just a, you know, we, we talk a lot, and I think I, I just, just listening to Steve talk, um, and I think about the way that we talk at the synagogue too, talk a lot about marketing, talk a lot about sales. How do we present what we've got and make it appealing, what we offer? Um, but it's not just, that's not just what's going on. It's not a question of our, our ad campaign isn't good enough or we're not getting the, the word out there about, about the, the, what we can offer. There is, I think, um, there are kind of two things that are different now, certainly compared to 50 years ago. So one is if you think about what the agenda of Jews was in America between World War II and say the 1990s, let's say from the end of the Shoah and the founding of the State of Israel at one end to the handshake on the White House lawn between uh, Yitzhak Rabin and, and Yasser Arafat. If you take that and the fall of the Soviet Union, by the way, right, uh, the early 90s, so from the late 40s to the early 90s, Jews who were involved with Jewish community, whatever else they were doing, were consumed with fighting anti-Semitism, defending Israel, looking out to some degree for Jewish rights in this country, church-state issues was certainly one. 
um, liberation of uh, oppressed Jews in the Soviet Union and in other communities where Jews were, were imprisoned and were oppressed. Um, and of course, defending the state of Israel meant not just sort of talking and supporting the policies of the government, but defending the existence of the state of Israel. And those were common, whether you were conservative, reform, or orthodox, whether you gave to the federation, or belonged to the men's club, or um, got together for a group of people to, to play golf. That was, that was the story. And if you think about what's happened in the past, you know, less than 20 years, well, there's no more Soviet Union. Uh, the fight to liberate the Jews who are oppressed goes on in some corners of the world, but it's not nearly the, the large organizing cause. You had young people, I remember when I was probably seven years old going to a rally in St. Paul, Minnesota, and you know we had my senator, Hubert Humphrey, there speaking, and we were out in force, and my parents, you know, parents brought their kids to that. Uh, but that's not what Jewish young people are, uh, are, are consumed with today. Defending the state of Israel, well, we have a state with uh, an army, um, threats for sure, but a nuclear arsenal, and Jews maybe not in quite the same way perceived. It may be a little different now. Um, we're concerned about Iran, and the question is, can we, can we go back? Um, fighting anti-Semitism, well, I have to say that um, you, it varies by where you live, but um, the reporting of Jews of our experience of anti-Semitism in the United States certainly has decreased over time. So those things which kind of united Jews, external threats and things like that, they're, they're not quite so much there anymore. And, um, and that, to some degree, that that sort of pressed us together from the outside, that's not so much happening. And I think the even more fundamental thing is kind of a, is a shift in thinking. We always talked, and we still always talk, about Judaism as a community and Jewish belonging as a sense of obligation. If you belong to a synagogue today, chances are your parents belong to a synagogue give to the Federation, your parents gave to the Federation, and you have that sense that that's a, simply an obligation, something you think about sort of when or which, but not really you think about the what. But for Jews coming of age in this generation, it's not a given anymore. They're not, maybe that is passed down. They are kids of people who had those kinds of involvements, but something, something happened where the language of community and obligation, it's not out there. It's not part of the language of the society in which we live. So we talk about things in terms of the individual. We talk about choice and we talk about personal meaning. You know, these are, these are we think, in obvious terms. Responsibility, well, we say that's obvious. Choice, we say that's obvious. Um, but choice is a profound, profound American idea. It's different here than in any other place that Jews live in the world, and it's different from any other place where Jews live. We consider ourselves to have the choice. We are, I know that, that, that I do this too, rabbis say, you know, everybody, every Jew is a Jew by choice. Nobody compels anybody to be here. Nobody threatens us to be in these kinds of experiences. Yet you choose. And it's not only that you, you have to choose or we want you to choose, but you're not here if you don't choose. And the studies that are showing that with each generation, the way in which Jews decide whether to be involved or not isn't based on a habit or a memory or, a, or having been socialized to do that, but based on a choice about, about personal meaning. I have, I, have a, I have a search for something in my life, and if I find it through an organization or a group or a community, then I join, and if I don't find it, I don't join. Um, you know, I, I, we're in an interesting transition period where, um, where it's hard to know sort of what the, the rate of this is. At my interview here at the temple, I remarked on how remarkable it is that, that, uh, that there are you know, 300 or so households in the Nashua area where people will pay, you know, $1,000 or more to belong to an organization whose services most of them don't take advantage of. 
Um, what, it's really interesting. I mean, clearly there's some sense, residual sense of, uh, of obligation because, you know, what other thing is there that we pay for that we don't use? Um, and most Jews belong to organizations and don't, and don't use them. And um, at some point we're gonna, there's gonna be a tipping point and we'll, we'll fall off that cliff because people aren't choosing.